Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Bram. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides mental health resources for people who've experienced the trauma of a positive STI diagnosis. Today's guest, ooh, um, am I supposed to say your name? Or are we giving you an alias? <laughs> I mean, you have a pretty unique first name, so I can just go without saying your name at all, just to keep it safe if you wanted to uh, keep your anonymity. <laughs> I don't think anyone will really know. All right. I don't mind. <laughs> okay. Well, today's guest, well, what are your pronouns? Uh, she, her. She, her. All right. Um, our guest today, let's see if I can go without saying your name at all. Um but our guest has a boring ass story, apparently, if you ask her uh, about her experience living with HSV. So I'm going to let you just go ahead and get started. I haven't interviewed anybody in a minute about herpes. I hope I'm not rusty. Shit. So, so wait, was this like, was this like when the honeymoon phase passed or what? Yeah, honeymoon phase was definitely over and like I probably should have known when we started dating that like he wasn't that great of a guy because my friends did not like him and my family did not like him. So I was like, you know what? Like let's just see how it goes. He's better than my last boyfriend and I was an idiot essentially and just stayed with him for another four or for the four and a half years that we were together so um i wouldn't get much of a response from him when we've gotten to college fast forward to like my sophomore year of college and at this point how long were y'all together that was going into the fourth year okay going into the last year of us being together so I started to kind of notice that he would like drift off and I was going through a lot with my school and I was in the process of transferring and we had gone home for Thanksgiving. This was like our last Thanksgiving together and he had pretty much put me in my place in the sense of I was only going to be arm candy and he brought me home to his family for our, uh, the last Thanksgiving and his cousin was asking him questions about like oh like what are you guys going to do after college like, are you going to move in together kind of like going into the direction of like you guys are going to be together for a while and he shut me down completely he um interrupted me in this whole conversation and he was grabbed my arm and he um he said oh she'll follow me anywhere so that's when things kind of like freaked me out a little 
after Thanksgiving break, I started to experience some like fever, cold sweats, um, and my lymph nodes were really, really swollen. We couldn't figure out why. So I went back to school. I then all of a sudden got really sick, 104, 105 fever. Probably should have went to the hospital. Don't like hospitals, so I just ignored it and quit stroke. I was sick for about, I want to say four weeks. So I pretty much missed my final exams. My professors all kind of were like, you know what, don't worry about it. You're really sick. Just take care of yourself, rest up. And I put in the paperwork for me to transfer schools. So that was when I was most likely exposed during that Thanksgiving break. And I didn't think anything of it. I had no idea. You know, I went to a Catholic high school. I really didn't get sex education. And um, it became pretty obvious to my friends at the time that, you know, all the signs were there that he was cheating on me. He was seeing other people. He was very protective of his phone, protective of his social media. Like, he did not show me off whatsoever unless it was around his family. So, uh... Then, when I transferred, he helped me, you know, move in down to Washington, D.C., where I go to school. And um, we were together for that fall semester. And during this time, or sorry, this is semester, during this time, I uh, shaved my head. And I uh, was totally bald, uh, completely out of choice. It was uh, my school's tradition. And uh, he did not take it very well got into multiple arguments over my decision to shave my head and you know it was something that I hold near and dear to my heart that it was the benefits that I was shaving my head for was for cancer research. How so dare first, you shave his head? What? No, I shaved my head. No, that's what I mean. Like he treats you like his fucking property. Fuck him. And wait, to be clear, did you have like really long, flowy hair or something? Yes. Okay. I did. My hair was probably around right, right around my shoulders, a little bit past my shoulders. It was long. I've always had long hair. So I shaved it, and he did not take it very well at all. He freaked out on me. He was like, How dare you do such a thing? You disobeyed my decision. And I was like, Wait a minute. Like, this isn't your decision to make in the first place. And then he started throwing things in, like, very extremely, extremely manipulative phrases. Like, oh, you're not going to look pretty. I love your hair. I think you should keep your hair. And at that point, I was like, you know what? Like, you're, at this point, looking for ways to manipulate me even, even further than you already have. Like, he drove me away from my friends and my family, my cousins, more specifically. Um, anything with this person so um i shaved my head i had a couple of friends that were like hey you should save your hair i was like why would i save it he's like they all of my two friends that knew about the situation that was going on they were like well um for starters he said that he adores your hair and wants you to keep it so might as well just you know save 
gave some of it in a Ziploc bag and sent it to him for Valentine's Day. Uh, so I, I listened, <laughs> and I did that. So further down the road, probably we were celebrating almost four and a half years, and he sits me down after we go out to dinner, and he's like, you know, you really hurt me. What do you mean? Like, I went through four and a half years of just not saying anything, through all of the manipulation, all of the lies. Like, when you, I hurt you one time, it's like the end of the world. But when I went through all of the emotional abuse for me, it doesn't matter. So that's when I kind of realized, like, okay, maybe it's time to, like, cut things off. And I couldn't bring myself to do it for almost six months. And honestly, like, I really only hung out with Dave because of his family. His family adored me. They were so caring and so supportive. And I was like, you know what? Like, maybe I can just push it through. But it, it just wasn't worth it in the end. So uh, summer rolls around. And we were hanging out at uh, a friend's house for a 4th of July party. This was this past July. Um, in 2020 or 2019? Sorry? Okay. So he says to me, uh, at the time, you know, I was working two jobs, and I was really exhausted, and I really didn't have a whole lot of time for anyone. So um, when I did make the time for him, it was it was like, hey, like, come over, we can hang out and then sleep over. And he was all down for it. And then the day arrived, and the 4th of July comes, and I was like, hey, like, you're going to come home with me, right? Like, we're going to sleep over, and then I'll just go to work from there. He was making up all these excuses and just like, oh, well, I'm going to hang out with friends, and I asked who, and he was like, not responding whatsoever. So at that point, I was like, okay, who is it? Is it, is it a, a male friend, or is it a female friend? And I was never the type to be that possessive or protective over him. Like, I didn't care who you hung out with, just as long as you're not going to go and cheat on me. Well, little did I know, he was cheating on me for almost two, the last two years of our relationship, and... At that point, after the 4th of July, I was done. I went through so much with him that I just couldn't continue fake being happy around him. Like, yeah. I was always so angry. And, you know, I probably should have left when I had shaved my head because he just refused to have sex with me the last six months. So I just... Obviously, if you're not going to have sex with me, like, obviously, you're going to get it somewhere else. Yeah. Why was cheating the thing uh, that made you I go? Heard, I had heard down the, down the grapevine from a few friends that he had uh, got on Tinder while we were dating. Oh, shit. And I approached this conversation, like, um, so I have had a few friends send me screenshots of your Tinder profile. He was like, yeah, what about it? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what about it? And I, uh, I was like, you have a girlfriend. He was like, yeah, I know. But I want to have a Tinder, too. It's all a joke. I'm not actually meeting these people. And, like, at that point, how else do I approach this conversation? Like, are you cheating on me? And then it would just escalate to him saying, don't ask questions you don't want to know the answer to. Oh, all right, all right, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so, all of this is happening, but why was it that cheating 
or finding out that he actually cheated, even though the signs were there, why did it take that for you to decide that you were over the relationship? Because uh-huh. he said, I won't be pretty unless I have hair. And I was like, oh, no, no. Like, I am the last person you should be saying that to. I am a strong, independent woman. Like, I'm a feminist kind of attitude. But, like, with him, he just knew how to manipulate me. And he was very much of, like, narcissistic sociopath tendencies. And his parents uh, were in, had psycho- uh, psychological background. They both worked in psych wards, they both worked in prison systems, and they just knew how to manipulate people. So in turn, he learned from his parents how to manipulate me, and I was just very easily easily manipulated by him. Like He could say and do anything, and I, he'd find an excuse, and I'd believe it. And, like, it's stupid and crazy to say that I was so dumb enough to stay for four and a half years, but, like, I didn't know any better. So I just, at that point, after that whole Fourth of July fiasco, I was like, you know what? I broke up with him, gave him all of his shit back, and we didn't speak to each other. I, like, checked in and was like, hey, like, how are you doing? Kind of like, I'm still here for you, I'll still be friends with you kind of thing. And he kind of, like, shut me down completely. He was like, it was almost like he was waiting for me to find something else. So I started seeing someone else, and, you know, things were going great. He was such a nice guy, and we were going out and hanging out all the time after work, before work. What were you positive for?
said, hey, like, you should get tested. He got tested and was negative. So I had notified my ex-boyfriend and said, hey, like, you need to get tested. I tested positive for this. I'm just looking out for you. Like, I want you to be safe. So then he told me to fuck off and get out of his life because I notified him that I tested positive for something. And I said, you know, I, I'm, I can't even be, like, that upset over this, but, like, at the same time, like, thanks for ruining my life because, you know, you were openly cheating on me. Your friends knew about this. They just didn't say anything to me, and I was completely clueless. So, um, needless to say, we never spoke again. And is he's probably still giving herpes to other people, and that's what really, really is the thing that really resonates with me a lot, because it's like, he's just going out and sleeping with these other women, and like, they have no idea. You know what, I'm gonna start doing, I'm gonna start. Sorry? I'm going to start a directory where y'all can just leave these guys' names and we can just say, hey, these are the people who are just going around giving people hurt. No, I'm just kidding. I can't do that. <laughs> I mean, but like, honestly, that unfortunately is such a common thing, though. Like, where. It is very common. Yeah. Like, if you're not going to even acknowledge the fact that you gave someone an STD, like, you were with them for four and a half years, like, that's on you. That's on your moral conscience. I was so, so appalled at the fact that, like, I was with this person for four and a half years, someone who I cared about, supposedly who cared about me, because I could turn around and cheat on me like that, like... Right. One of the... One of the things that, uh, throughout this journey of something positive for positive people, I'm finding is, uh, we look at people who get an STI and we look at them in a certain light, we look at them as a number, for instance, and we assume that there are certain behaviors that got them to the point that they're at when in reality that isn't the case. When in reality we have situations like yours that happen all the time where you were just in the kind of relationship that you should not have been in. And so the fact that you were with him and he was cheating and he demonstrated all these abusive behaviors, you stuck with him long enough, I guess, to have had the experience of being exposed to genital herpes from this partner, obviously. Um, it speaks volumes to where STD prevention efforts need to be shifted towards, which is in line with being able to support people's mental health and navigating boundaries and relationships and being able to support people in like identifying toxic behavior in their partnerships with other people. Because if you had the know-how and if you had the, uh, the the resources that you needed in order to recognize that you're dealing with a particular type of person that you need to get the fuck away from, then perhaps that could have kept you from being in the relationship beyond a certain extent. Because of course, I'm sure there were red flags very early in the relationship that had your sex education program in Catholic school, right? Had your sex education program highlighted. Yeah, it was non-existent. But like, even if it were to include things that sex education 
uh, from sex educators who are certified includes such as body autonomy, talking about consent, navigating boundaries, being able to communicate uh, in regards to abuse and defend yourself against things like emotional abuse. You might not have even been in this relationship because the red flags were so blatant in the beginning. to the point of like that's what you expected relationships to be like that was your first relationship that was your first sexual experience unfortunately so that kind of set the foundation of what your normal was um, until you moved forward from it and having been a survivor of rape like the experiences after with your first boyfriend after the first time that he raped you was that just the nature of the relationship did the experiences turn out to be different with him or no you know now looking back between the two relationships there were a lot of similarities a lot of similarities with manipulation and scare tactics and the inability to say no between both relationships like I had no say whatsoever and I just kind of accepted it as it was and got used to it and I think that's what really trapped me in that kind of a situation yeah and so at no fault of your own like having not had things like again boundaries and being able to know that your voice matters in relationships, this wasn't brought into your sex education program because what? It's abstinence, don't have sex till you're married, and if right. you do have sex beforehand, what? Wear a condom so you don't get an STD? Yeah, that's pretty much what, about it, what it was. And even then, it was... I had a, a teacher in high school say, I don't need birth control, I need self-control. That's what our... I'd wear that t-shirt. I don't need self-control. I need birth control. I'd flip that. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, it, it bothers me that... 
I don't know. I feel like this this kind of thing is so normalized in people's experiences. Like even for the first time having sex, like this is what you think it's supposed to look like in it until you talk to other people about it. And then like how much did it take? How long did it take for you to even talk to your friends about sex? Considering um, coming from Catholic school, Catholic background, I don't think that that's a normal thing that's discussed, period. So you no, had it, this. It wasn't. Okay. It wasn't. So, like, I waited almost two years to say anything, like, to anyone. So, at this point... I did kind of, like, come out more about it, and there were ways to prevent what happened, and it just... It ate me up for years. And now, you know, like, I'm always the one to disclose what happened to me to new partners, because there's certain things that, like, I can't handle very well. Because of these two experiences. When you say there's things you can't handle very well, what do you mean? So, what happened with my first boyfriend when he raped me, um, he laid on top of me and just held me down. Um, face to face. I, I can't handle it. I go into complete panic mode. It's PTSD. It's complete anxiety attack all over again if someone does that. So, like, it's it's hard to go into, say, a one-night stand with someone and voice that dark of a situation that's happened to me just to someone that I've just met. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, nobody wants to hear that. I, I hate that there's not a better way for me to ask this question, but... In the event that you, well, do you have one night stands? Let me ask that first. Or have you? I have had one in the past. I mean, pre-COVID. Okay. Yeah, I, I have had one night stands in the past. Okay. Yes. So I guess my question is, is missionary sex just something that is off the table for new partners right away? And so you feel safe with people that you can disclose this information to. You can tell, hey, I was raped in missionary and I don't want to have missionary sex uh, because it triggers me. Or if it's someone that, you know, like you said, friends, someone that's safe and trustworthy, you know, okay, this is someone that I can just go along with it. Uh, has, Has there ever been a time where you maybe didn't disclose that you were raped and you found yourself triggered after... Um, after you were raped? Um, not particularly. I haven't ever had to do that because I usually keep it away from missionary. I and once someone wants to do it, I'm like, no, we're not doing that. Completely <laughs> shut it down. Well, okay, so if. <laughs> I guess we, we're, we're here, so we're going to just stay here. So, like, the I'm asking this because I'm imagining that while your first sexual experience was rape in missionary, I would imagine that 
positions where there isn't like intimacy or intimate contact, like not looking at each other. So doggy style, for instance, would essentially be triggering as well because, you know, yeah, in this case, you were held down and looked at, I guess. And in this case, is it just safer for you not to be seen? Because I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing back there? Like, I don't trust this. I don't trust you. But that seems safer for you. Have you talked to anyone professionally like about all of this? Oh boy. Oh, we're getting into that. Um no. <laughs> well, I ask I ask because you seem so like you're not you're not I'm not getting triggered vibes from you at all. Like you feel very comfortable talking through this. Oh, fuck. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, I was trying to avoid no, that. No, it's okay. It's, it's really okay. Like, I'm so strong of a person that I just don't let things like that bother me anymore. Like, for a long time, it just beat me up inside, and I just didn't want to have sex with anyone ever again. And I thought, nobody's going to want me. Nobody's going to want to have sex with me. Nobody's going to want me as a partner or anything like that. And I kind of overcame the fact that, you know, these were two bad experiences that I dealt with, with two individuals that it made me really put things into perspective. Um, not everyone is going to be like that. Not everyone is going to want to take advantage of someone else who has been hurt in the past. So I kind of like, I don't want to say that I disassociated the relationships with sex. More so I disassociated with the fact of those two individuals did, did, did these bad things to me. And, um, kind of overcame the fact that people are better than used to in my whole entire life that I will will experience. And you got this just from talking about it to your support system. Yeah, talking about it with friends. Um, The ones that really saw me at my worst. Like, I wanted, when I was diagnosed with recency one and two, I wanted to drop out of college. I didn't think as a 21-year-old I would ever have a normal sex life. I never thought that I would ever have someone in my life that was consistent because I had an STD. And, like, that's not true at all. And I was so used to the stigma that everyone is taught at such a young age about herpes oh, it's such, a, it's, a, it's such a horrible thing, and oh, it's the gift that keeps on giving that everyone talks about. And, you know, people joke about herpes in 
movies and how it's such a horrible thing and like it's it's not all that bad as someone who has it now like it's a different experience seeing it through the eyes of someone who has never experienced an STI or an STD and then having it is totally different mm-hmm. um, this is a really great point to just plug in that the experience that you have after testing positive for an STI completely goes against STI, STD prevention efforts. Like it, STD prevention looks like don't get an STD and then you get one and there's nothing there for you except for when you start to search, you find all of these willing people to put their own STI status out there and serve as a means of support. So things like something positive for positive people or different Instagram accounts that you may find or social media pages, these are post-diagnosis resources and support. And I think that there's really a strong need for these post-diagnosis support resources to work with and be integrated into STD prevention efforts so that there is a seemingly uh, effortless transition from, okay, prevention failed me, but I'm not a failure because now I have these resources on the other side of that. Like that needs to happen at this point for when people who receive a diagnosis, get their diagnosis, they're able to just smoothly walk into the next steps of what to do next rather than just feeling like, oh my God, I, I fucked up. I'm fucked up. Like there's a difference there between I fucked up and then I am fucked up, right? And yeah, definitely. that's where a lot of people are when they get their diagnosis. Like that's what, you know, collectively we genuinely believe about ourselves. So in um, just being able to get this shit out there to where, you know, you have what you need in order to, seek your support around you like you have the tools language resources to be able to go to your friends and talk about what you're experiencing and going through with confidence and talk to it about talk about it to your potential sexual partners like it's the kind of shit we need yeah i mean i've even noticed the language that i i had used in the past related with sex and stds and i would i would use the term and you know i catch myself sometimes and i say it are you clean and, um, you know, that kind of insinuates the fact that, like, someone with an STI or STD is dirty. Like, everyone experiences an STD or an STI in their lifetime at any point, and either they don't even realize it or someone else that they know has an STD or an STI. And it shouldn't be based on if someone's clean or dirty. Like, with someone who has ST- um, herpes now, you know, it it puts things into perspective of, oh God, like I'm telling other people that I, that they can view me as something as like dirty. Like that's not what it should be focused on whatsoever. It, you know, it should be a norm that people experience STIs and STDs, but it's not. Unfortunately in our culture, that it's just very negative and very much of a taboo subject still. Mm-hmm. And we really just need to normalize people knowing what their status is. And uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, again, a lot of the burden falls on women, but don't fuck dudes who don't get tested for STIs. Like, I know yeah. majority of the women that I know have to at least go and have an annual 
well women's wellness exam, whereas guys can go shit six years without having gone to get tested and we'll use our most recent sexual partner status. So, you know, let's say I'm, you know, in a relationship with a woman who goes to get her pap smear, right? And she happens to get STI testing done and she hits me up, says, yep, no STDs. Cool. If I'm fucking three other women, then I can tell them based on the last uh, status of her that I'm not giving them any STDs. So therefore I don't have any STDs because I don't be, that means they don't have any because I didn't give it to her. And that's the logic because at a mental level, it makes sense. All right. If I'm fucking four people without protection, let's say, and one of those people gets tested and doesn't have an STI, then that generally means that I don't have an STI and I can keep doing what I'm doing. But like what we don't understand is that some STIs don't show symptoms. Some take a while to show up at all. Um, And some you just won't know about until you get tested. I know people who've had different STIs that didn't come up until either a partner told them, hey, you should get tested because I have an STI. You may not know that you have one, but go and get tested. And then others who uh, just go in for one thing and find out that it's something else that's caused by an STI. So these are the kinds of things that need to be normalized and talked about because we have to get to a place of knowing what our uh, STI status is and being able to articulate that to partners and expect the same thing from them. Never. And I, I, I can't help but cringe when I'm like, oh, sorry, gotta go. Like, nope. Bye. And that's exactly how it should be. It should be like that. Like, that should be right. one of the standards. Like, oh, I like someone who's tall. I like a pretty smile. I like someone who knows their STI status, right? Look at you out here changing lives. Let's go. Right. Like, I want to be the one to advocate for those who are too afraid to. Yeah. And, you know, I found your podcast through um, the feature that you did with, um, oh, God, what is it? This podcast will kill you. Yeah. Honestly, like I'd rather normalize it than have it be this heavy subject for everyone to like be afraid of. And here's the thing too that I noticed, like 
how you said you've talked about being raped again and again and again to people around you, to your support system. And now you say you talk about herpes again and again and again and again to people around you. Uh, do you find that talking about it more is something that helps with your healing process? and I wanted to never speak to anyone ever again and I never wanted to have sex again and you know all of the, the reasons why people don't get tested is exactly why I just didn't want to do anything I just wanted completely to disassociate with the entire thing and I kind of like put things into perspective I'm sorry it's my dog uh Sorry, I got construction going on, so there's going to be all types of shit happening in this podcast. All right, okay, as long as it's not just me. No. Um, it, it really puts, you know, I can't put myself down just because I have a disease. Mm-hmm. And it's a different status from other people. Yet, herpes is so easily spread by people. Like, has type 1. Nobody knows it. And it's just, you know, me talking about it and educating other people on it, it really is something that helps me heal and realize that, like, I can get into a relationship or um, change partners and have a normal sex life. Yeah, whatever normal means. saying and teaching and educating. Yeah. I was saying whatever normal means, like, <laughs> who wants a normal right, sex normal. life anyway? <laughs> normal is a bad word to say, especially for teaching sex, because, like, everybody's into something different. Yeah. Um, This is way more complex than that. I didn't know about the cutting and self-harming. relationships or was it after your diagnosis after diagnosis so the way I understand uh, cutting and I could be completely wrong but the way that I've understood it was um, you are numb and you want to feel something so you cut but was that was that your experience or no 
It's a lot of fear and numbness. Like I just didn't know how to handle it. Yeah. <clears throat> what brought you out of the cutting phase? You realize how dope you were? That's all it was. I mean, I don't want to be like that person to say that, but like, I realized how much of a badass I am. Like, I was raped at 16. I got into another shitty relationship. I shaved my head. I sent this man my hair to show him, to prove him a point. Like, I'm a Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you sent him the hair because it was like, oh, see, it's pretty and you liked it. So here, I'll send you some. All right. So you were being condescending there. I shaved my head. I shaved the hair and I sent it to him for Valentine's Day. Because he told me, oh, I love your hair so much. So I just decided to give it to him. Oh, I read that wrong. Okay, I read it. I read it without sarcasm. I was like, damn, you really love this dude. No. Okay, got it. Um, yeah. Okay. What were some things that you did to, you know, look back and say how bad of a badass you were? Like, can you help me with that? Just imagine I'm someone who cuts myself after my herpes diagnosis, and I've been through some shit. You know, what What do you tell me? What do you say to me in order for you to get me to the place that you got to of just looking back and realizing, like, you struggled, you thrived, you're still here, and you're not going to go back to that. You know, I think it's really a matter of someone's strength in themselves and how they believe in themselves. And, you know, I don't want to say it's related with confidence at all whatsoever because, you know, people have shit confidence and we are our own worst critics. And I honestly have to say to someone, like, what is that razor going to do to you? Like, sure, it feels good temporarily, but in the long run, like, that's not worth it. Can we argue... Can we argue that it doesn't? Can we argue that it doesn't really feel good? To some people, it does. Some people, it doesn't. I mean, like, can you get a tattoo? Like an emotional release. I'm sorry. Can you get a tattoo? I have three. No, that's what I mean. Like, instead of cutting, like, can we say, "Hey, go get a tattoo," or what? Like, is it kind of similar? Oh, okay. My bad. <laughs> bad, bad uh, connection. Bad connection. Yeah, it, tattoos mean something to me. It's a permanent piece of me that I went through in my experience, and my emotional healing is through tattoos and piercings and self-expression. And cutting, to me, meant a release of almost what I was. Ah, uh-huh, so like what you felt on the inside, cutting allowed you to feel on the outside. Right. Ooh, okay. Yeah. All right. A little different from a lot of people. Yeah. It, um, this whole process really has been extremely eye-opening. And, uh, you know, people are always very nervous to tell people that they have an STD or whatever their status is. But for me, you know, like, I just, at some point of the 
disassociating and hurting myself through the whole process, I just kind of like let go and just like, you know what, I'm better than this. And if someone doesn't want to sleep with me because of my status, like that's on them. Yeah. Out on a great time. Yes, hey, and Ashley Manta, the canisexual on all social media platforms, said it best. She said, uh, I'm awesome at sex, and if you don't want to have sex with me, then you're missing out. So, right. <laughs> sucks for you. Right. Like, I- And then you can tell them, I don't even like, like, you should tell them, I don't even like missionary. (laughs) (laughs) It's not weird. So many people say that many more people say it than don't say it. Like, even if at some point they were like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me it transforms into, well, this is probably one of the better things that's ever happened to me. That's 100% how I feel at the beginning of my diagnosis. I was like, this is awful. I'm disgusting. And then it transformed to, I'm a fucking badass. I'm a baddie in bed. Like, hey! I sleep with them. That's on them. Let's go. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and, like, it just really, I hate to say it, but I love to say it. Like, it's kind of uplifting. Yeah. Like it makes me feel a lot better about the situation, everything that I've been through, and how much of a badass I am, and how much stronger of a person I am in the end to come through all of that shit and just be handed the worst cards and then be like, you know what? I shaved my head. I'm a bad bitch. <laughs> hey, let's go. That's that bad bitch energy right there. Let's go. Yeah, like, <laughs> whenever, you, I, whenever I do meet new people and I'm like, yeah, I shaved my head before. And they're like, you're a bad bitch. And I'm like, yes, I am a bad bitch. <laughs> and then it just it just makes me feel so good. Like, I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. Well, um... So much for this being another boring ass podcast interview, right? Or another? Would you say another boring ass <laughs> story, herpes story? I mean, I thought it. I, I mean, I don't know. It's my story, so I don't really think it's that interesting. Like, sure, it was someone who looked happier. They cheated on me. Oh dear! Like, oh god! But I don't know. I mean, I guess it's not so boring after all. Yeah. Well, I thought that this was very useful. I appreciate your openness, your vulnerability, and your your smile, your tears, your joy, all the energy that you brought to this podcast episode. Um, this is going to be really useful to someone, and um, I hope that person uh, is open to sharing that this was useful to them so that I can yeah. give you that validation that you actually did help someone just by sharing your story.
that's a really good place to wrap this thing up. So, like I said, I appreciate having you. Um, if you are listening to this and you are a fan of the Something Positive for Positive People podcast, I started a little Facebook community that is going to evolve into something. I don't know exactly what yet. So I got like 30 people in there now just chilling, waiting on me to start uh, explaining what this is. But it's just a community of people who hear about uh, that Facebook group through listening to the Something Positive for Positive People podcast. I don't advertise this or promote it anywhere else. It is exclusively uh, for podcast members. I want to get people, or I'm sorry, podcast listeners. I want to get people out of the habit of exclusively being in herpes support groups and herpes uh, uh, spaces so that we can get more comfortable allowing ourselves to allow allies in and seeing what intelligent discussions around sexual health period look like and sex positivity and kink and BDSM and uh, just consent and boundaries and navigating relationships. I want all of that in, uh, I want us to be able to take all of that into whatever space we find ourselves in and be able to share community with one another despite our STI status, right? Um, couple of other announcements like going into 2021 something positive for positive people is going to begin expanding those therapy services to be able to help people with getting connected to a licensed mental health care professional if you can afford it great give us as much money as you can and we'll get the negotiations going if you cannot afford it then we want to be able to pay for it for you so we're seeking granting uh, grants and funding opportunities to continue to uh, expand our network of mental health care professionals so that we can get people who've experienced the trauma of an SCI diagnosis connected to the mental health resources that they need. Thank you to Let's Get Checked for sponsoring something positive for positive people. Visit trylgc.com slash SPFPP and you can select from a number of different SCI testing kits or COVID test if you want. And your purchase of any of these contributes to the Something Positive for Positive People podcast because the more of their tests that y'all buy using that promo code SPFPP at checkout, the more money we get in order to continue to expand on the services of something positive for positive people. And since I have been newly appointed the executive director of this nonprofit organization, I get to get paid too. So help a brother out. Um, if you can support us with a donation, please do so. Visit www.spfpp.org and you'll see various options for you to leave a donation or you can leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you listen on. Uh, that's it. Do you want to say bye or anything else, guest, whose name I managed to not say at all throughout this podcast recording? Oh, thanks, Brenna. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right, y'all. Till next time. Stay sex positive.